We continue with the Daily Sports Feed on ESPN Harrisonburg. I am Dave Rickard. It's a pleasure to have you along. Let's talk some James Madison football, talk a little basketball as well. It's two weeks from today is the season opener for both the men and the women. So, again, they start to uh, – the, the countdown is on for their seasons to begin. But let's talk some football first with Shane Metlin from the DNR as he covers the Dukes for the paper. Also, check it out online, dnronline.com. Hi, Shane. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing well. And again, you had a you were you were very investigative over the weekend and have been the last few days. So we're going to get to a lot of that. Let's start with the football game last Thursday. First of all, your thoughts on, on JMU's twenty to nine victory at Marshall? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the defense was in, incredibly impressive. The defense didn't give up a point. They really shut down Marshall's offense completely. Um, which I think was probably somewhat to be expected, just looking at the matchups and what what Marshall's strengths are versus you know what JMU is extremely good at defensively. Um, seems like it's going to be a tough time for Marshall to move the ball, but to have a complete shutout defensively, I think was maybe even a little bit of a surprise. And the offense did what they needed to do uh, to get the win. Obviously, not maybe not as many points as a lot of people might have hoped for, but. You know, 400 yards of offense is not bad, and you know they moved the ball in the first half. They controlled possession for a lot of the first half, and um, it, it was it was a three to two game. But it seemed like JMU was in control even when it was a three to two game for the most part. Yeah, no question. And, and you're right; the defense was phenomenal. Jalen Green's performance, five sacks. Um, I'm not I'm not sure I've seen anything like that one before. No, I mean it was just yeah. He every, it seems like every week. We're thinking, you know, one of these guys on uh, on the defensive line might be like an all-American type of player, and right. it's been different guys at different times. But Jalen Green, um, maybe the most consistent over the course of the season, uh, you know, 13 sacks is just unbelievable. That's a good career, and he's done it in seven right. games right now, and it's, it's a it, it's unbelievable what he's doing statistically. Um, you know, not a huge guy to be playing defensive line. He, he's almost, you know, he, he'd be a big linebacker, but he's a pretty small defensive lineman. And, uh, you know, what he's doing, the way he's getting to the quarterback, the way he's disrupting things. And we've talked about before, he does other stuff. We, we've seen him drop back in the pass coverage. We've seen him, mm-hmm. you know, get the pick six when he was playing quarterback spy. He's not just a guy who, like, is unleashed to go after the quarterback every every snap. He does a lot of things. They ask a lot of him. And he's just been incredible this year. He has. And, and that's, that's one thing. I mean, 13 sacks is just incredible what he's doing right now. And, and what the, the team leads the country now. Jalen leads the country. And then they face an ODU team this weekend that has given up the most sacks of anybody in America, 38 so far through seven football games. So we'll get into that. But um, it's it's pretty incredible. And, and the offense, again, they're pretty inconsistent. But J- – Jordan McLeod still continues to put up pretty good numbers, and, and he kind of fought through some adversity. I was talking with Coach Signetti afterwards that that might be his most mature game, just kind of figuring it out as the game wore on. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been talked about throughout the season, but he's a guy who missed two years, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can practice, you can study film, you can do everything. Nothing really duplicates the the experience of having, you know, 11 really big, strong, fast guys on the other side trying to come after you. And, you know, and uh, he's, it was a long, it's been a long time since he'd seen that. And I think you're seeing every week that he's just more and more comfortable with the speed of the game and the idea of getting hit and, you know, what he needs to do maybe off the field and 
during the week to be prepared for that. We're talking to Shane Metlin from the DNR. As again, the Dukes are 7-0 right now, ranked 25th in the country. We'll talk about that with Shane. Let's kind of go in chronological order. And I guess we, we already failed that because this actually happened before the game took place on Thursday, and that was Charlie Baker's letter to Virginia Attorney General rejecting JMU becoming postseason eligible this season. Um, did that surprise you at all that that happened? I guess I was a little surprised at the timing of it. I mean, I, w- I was prepared to relax the rest of the evening, and then I got the uh, email from the Attorney General's office with the copy of the letter. And so, um, you know, that I-, I wasn't necessarily expecting such a quick response and maybe such an emphatic response from uh, the NCAA, but um, yeah, it did come back. I'm not, not necessarily surprised that nothing changed. Um, but, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if that's the end of it from the attorney general's perspective. It sounds like they're still considering if there's another step along their lines. We saw in North Carolina that the attorney general got very involved and almost almost threatening to the NCAA before Tez Walker was granted his waiver to play this year. So I don't know if there's, if there's similar considerations going on in Virginia, but... Um, they didn't immediately rule it out when I asked about that. So I guess we'll see if anything else happens along those lines. But uh, not not surprised that that was the initial answer from the NCAA. I was going to say, do you do you feel like the attorney general's office will do something? I don't know. I mean, I think I think you know they when she, when his spokeswoman says that they're 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 figuring it out. I, I I think that they are. I think they're they're looking into it, trying to figure out what the uh, you know. It, what the likelihood of anything happening is like if there is any kind of, you know, legal precedent for, you know, threatening an investigation or a lawsuit or anything like that. Um, I, I do believe that they're probably taking the time to figure out what they have there, but whether they have enough to make a difference, I don't know. We're talking with Shane Metlin from the daily news record as uh, again, he covers JMU football, basketball for the DNR and, you know, one thing that kind of blew up after the game, and I've known about this for weeks, I'm sure you probably have too, is just that the, the NCAA st- stat website, again, doesn't have JMU in the rankings, and we've known about this for a while, but it kind of blew up. I think ESPN talked about it, and, and some of your tweets also blew up. But um, what, why why are they not in, in, the, in the rankings as far as the stats? I mean, yes, they're a transitioning team, but they're an FBS team. I just don't understand this at all. D- did you get an explanation at all as why they're not in there? Yeah, well, I think this kind of all goes back to it. it's similar to the transition waiver and what in the play postseason in the second year, everything else. Nobody was prepared for a team to make the transition in the way that JMU has done it. None of the rules, none of the policies, nothing was prepared for JMU to, you know, not only play a full FBS schedule year one, but to play really well, to win a lot of games, to be in this position where, you know, they're one of the best group of five teams in the country. Nobody expected that in the first two years. So there's no rules to guide how to handle that. And the stats is one of those things. Um, you know, most teams when they're transitioning play against a lot of FCS opponents in the first year or two of the transition. And so that was the policy was that the stats for a transitioning team aren't listed the same way. So, you know, say say Todd Santeo last year had played most of his games against teams like Norfolk State and, you know, Bucknell and put up, you know, thousands of thousands of yards. 
I guess they didn't want that to be considered when you're talking about all American status and Heisman trophy, things like that. And I think uh, last season for most of the season, Centeno and JMU and those players were listed they were on, there, yeah. on the NCAA website. <laughs> yeah. um, from what I heard from, you know, JMU sports information department, Sometime late in the season, I think when other teams were looking to like how they were going to promote their players for, for awards and things, they were like, well, wait a second. Our quarterback should be in the top 10 of like these categories because like Centeno's transitioning, he shouldn't be listed here. And that's when they took JMU stats down, which was, which was always the policy, but it wasn't right on the website. And so now, you know, JMU still transitioning, um, still continuing to lead the nation in a lot of categories uh, is not listed there. And that's more because, you know, a team like Sam Houston state, for instance, last year played against almost all FCS teams and their stats. It's not an apples at apples comparison, even though they were technically FBS transitioning. Um, So that's the reasoning behind it, but nobody, I guess, nobody like was prepared for JMU to do this transition the way they are. Obviously JMU's played all but two games since they've moved up against FBS competition. Their stats are as legitimate as any, any other team. It would make sense for them to be listed alongside everyone else, but they're not. And, um, you know, the NCAA does have two websites <laughs> getting into the entire bureaucratic <laughs> issues with the NCAA, why they have two websites, to begin with, I don't know, but NCAA.org is different than NCAA.com. NCAA.com is run by Time Warner out of Atlanta. That's like, you know, farmed out to to another company. The NCAA.org one that the NCAA itself runs has JMU stats and Sam Houston and, and uh, Jacksonville State, for that matter, too. They have their stats at the bottom, at the bottom of each yeah, page find it. based on the, on, on the you know, for sacks – for instance, Jalen Green at the very bottom is the leader of the transitioning ones. And I was told that's so you can compare, I guess, when it's time to vote for All-Americans and things like that. But it's way more convoluted than it needs to be. And you, you've said it a couple times now. We're talking to Shane Mettlin from the DNR that no one was, was expecting or ready for a transitioning team to do what JMU has done. To, to just think about that for a second and to think about what they've done going 15-3 and three in their first 18 games, being ranked now in year one and year two, this is the best start for a transitioning team at 7-0 in the history of college. I mean, to, to do what they've done, when you really sit down and think about it, it is freaking amazing what they're doing right now. Yeah, and I think that kind of leads into like where I imagine we were going with the uh, college football playoff right, right. aspect of it. You know, they, that's another place where nobody was prepared for this. Like, you know, I I asked what happens if JMU is bowl eligible and, you know, the best group of five team. And, you know, I really get the impression that they had to kind of make that decision over the weekend. <laughs> like that, that nobody wow. had thought about like that possibility that a transitioning team could be the best group of five team. And, you know, right now, Jamie is in top 25 and, you know, they're behind a couple of other group of five teams, but they certainly have an argument that they're the best one right now. And like, I I really just, the more we get into everything, it it was clear. Nobody anticipated a program being able to make a transition like JMU has right now. We're talking to Shane Mettling from the DNR. Well, let's get into that. You, you, you reached out and got back from a, a spokesperson from the, the committee, right? Yeah, it's um 
I heard from you know, Brett Daniels, who is, I guess, the lead communications person for the college football playoff. Um, and, you know, they said that um, you know, JMU won't be ranked in the um, playoff rankings, which is what was expected for the initial rankings coming out um, on Halloween. But Jamie won't be ranked. But he also said they won't be considered for um, the Fiesta Bowl spot, basically, which goes to the best group of five team. Even if Jamie winds up being bowl eligible at the end of the year, which seems like, you know, at least a 50-50 shot, I would say, that there's not going to be enough teams to fill all the bowl spots. And Jamie will be postseason eligible, but um, apparently – being bowl eligible is not necessarily the same as being uh, considered for the college football playoff, which I think has come as a little bit of a surprise to a lot of people. I was going to say, have you had you reached out to, to folks at the Sun Belt or at JMU to, to kind of see if if that was their stance, or, or is that a surprise to them? Did they feel like they could still be a part of that? Yeah, I think you know there was at least some hope, but like I think the general interpretation by most people was that if and when JMU became bowl eligible at the end of the season, then they were eligible for any bowl, which would include the uh, New Year Six Bowls and the college football playoff and all of that. But uh, apparently that's not the way the college football playoff is going to handle it. They're the ones who make the selections for the for the, for the New Year Six Bowls, which includes the Fiesta Bowl, that this year is the guaranteed spot for a group of five teams. That's it's interesting that you also said that you felt like they kind of made this decision over the weekend, but I, I bet you're right. I bet they didn't think about this because no one expected this to even be a possibility. Yeah, I mean, I really, I mean, I, that's the impression I get. Nobody has told right. me for sure that you know, yeah, they decided this over the weekend. But you know, I sent the email in the car on Friday on the way back from Huntington um, and heard Sunday night. Um, really wasn't expecting to hear till sometime this week because I figured maybe you know they'd have to get into it, but um, yeah, I just I just get the impression, especially based on the fact that you know they had never communicated to JMU or anyone in the Sun Belt. It seems like that was the decision. Um, yeah, I just really get the impression that they kind of had to you know get together and say, hey, look, this is a possibility. We have to decide how we're going to handle it, and that seems to be the decision that was made now. Okay, we're talking to Shane Metlin from the DNR, and with that ruling, that also kind of leads to, to me believing, and I'll ask you this, do you believe now because of that ruling, now that they cannot play in the New Year's Six to get more money for the Sun Belt, I would imagine there's no possible way that the other members of, of, of the Sun Belt, the other schools, will vote to allow James Madison to play in the championship if they're 12-0 and or 11-1 or whatever it is, just because yeah. now, that, now there's not going to be a chance to get that money from the New Year's Six. Yeah, I can't imagine that happening now at this point. I mean, that was kind of like the whole argument was right. that, hey, this is good for the entire conference if we get a team into the in, into the New Year Six. I mean, the only other thing I could imagine is if a lot of teams start taking losses and Troy wins out and maybe could be in the mix, but a win, another win again, or a, another shot at JMU might help them. Mm-hmm. Would be the only possible scenario i can imagine at this point but even then i I think that would be an extreme long shot yeah uh, so can took a hit over the weekend as far as as a new year's six again that was a long shot anyway in in my mind was it in yours too yeah i mean i think so and i mean they're still you know winning out is a long shot and that's probably what it would take for jmu and you know um 
you know, there's a lot of things that would have to happen, but, you know, there's a lot of things that have already happened seven weeks into the season that, you know, you wouldn't have expected. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, I mean, you know, when, if a team's seven and oh and getting ranked, it's definitely something that you have to start, you know, kind of looking at, you know, obviously the team itself and the coaches and the players and everything want to take things one week at a time, but you know, you and I and the uh, playoff committee and everybody else doesn't have to. They don't have to go one to know every week, as you hear the players say all the time. Uh, you know, we can look ahead a little bit. <laughs> yes, we can. We're trying to Shane Meltland again from the Daily News Record, talking some JMU football, and you know, and, and now to have a number next to their name to be ranked again. Last year, obviously, it was short lived with the loss to Georgia Southern. But they, they did it. They got in the top 25, first year in the FBS, ranked in the top 25. And even at that point in time, I'm just like, you know, just – I it was something that I, I try to tell everybody, you know, take this in, you know, because this may not happen hardly ever. This may not happen again, honestly. It's so hard for a team at this level to be ranked in the top 25 unless you're doing what they're doing right now. But to have it happen a year later and, and have to prove themselves again and get back in the top 25, that's, again, it's just it's, it's, it's another, another feat for them that's been pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think even it might even be more impressive this time around. I agree with you. Yes. You know, last year they started 5 and 0. They were beaten up on some teams. They kind of I think maybe got some attention because they they blew out Middle Tennessee State who then turned around and blew out Miami and you know, they got some attention that way and it was just it was such a novelty that the first year team was five and oh and um beat beat App State that it also got national attention and um I think, you know, maybe they even got ranked faster than honestly maybe they should have, but like everybody was like loving the story. But this year I mean they've definitely earned it after seven weeks. I mean, you know, they probably could have been ranked a week earlier and you know, they they've beaten good teams. I don't think anybody looked at their schedule and thought, yeah, they'll win all seven of their right. their first seven games. And, you know, they have, they take care of business and have gotten better and better each week. And I, yeah, I think this ranking is probably more impressive than last year's even. 100% agree with you. No, no doubt. It was kind of, it was a hot story last year. This was the, the new transitioning team, but they have earned that. It's been a much more difficult schedule this year with the road games, the Power 5 team in Virginia. Again, it's just been – it's uh, it's way more impressive to see what they're doing right now. We're talking to Shane Metlin again from the DNR. And as we get – before I move into basketball with you, what are your thoughts on this weekend? I mentioned the stat that, that JMU leads the country in sacks. ODU has given up the most sacks in the country. That will be a big – talking point i'm sure this week but what are your thoughts on odu and and coming to town this week for homecoming for a primetime eight o'clock game on saturday they're playing pretty well right now let's be honest they're playing pretty well they they beat app state they're three and one in conference play so far yeah they they, they're um playing really well you know pretty much everybody there would love to play spoiler to jmu and you know in end all the talk about you know jmu nationally and you know take another step closer to uh, earn a bull bid themselves at ODU. Um, you know, I, I'm with you that, you know, a lot of the things, the way the team stack up are in favor of the Dukes. I mean, like you said, the stat, the sack numbers, um, you know, they don't have, you know, the most particularly mobile quarterbacks. They haven't really been able to completely settle on a quarterback all year because they've had some issues at that position. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a big challenge for ODU to stop 
JMU's defense from being disruptive. But mm-hmm. ODU too, they're a team that have they've won some games in some weird ways. Like you know, I, I feel like somebody in the Sun Belt's gonna have to have a game where they get some defensive touchdowns or some big special teams plays or something to beat this JMU team. And ODU is a team that has at times made those plays. You know, we've seen the pick sixes and the other, other things from them where they've gotten the explosion plays on defense. And that would be my biggest concern if I was cursing Eddie and his staff right now, looking ahead to this ODU game is just, you know, making sure that his team's focused enough to not have those kinds of mistakes on offense or special teams that can, you know, kind of equalize things for ODU. Because I think, just, you know, lining up 11-on-11 11 11 offensively and defensively, JMU has some pretty significant advantages. I, I, I'm with you on that, no doubt about that. 8 o'clock kickoff, that'll be a lot of fun. But ODU, can, they're 4-3, and three, two losses are Power 5 teams. I know Wake Forest and Virginia Tech aren't tremendous, but still, that's that's part of the, the, the schedule, and they're still Power 5 teams. So they're playing pretty well. Should be fun on Saturday night as the Dukes get set for the Monarchs in the Royal Rivalry at Bridgeport Stadium. The Sunbelt basketball media days took place last week. We're now two weeks away. We get a chance tomorrow to talk to, to some players um, from both sides. But uh, anything come out of New Orleans last week that you were surprised with, with either of the men or the women? I don't know if it was, like, uh, you know, particularly surprised. Um, I think I told somebody else, like, I, I enjoyed that, you know, you hear 27 of the 28 coaches basically say, you know, the, the preseason polls don't matter. We don't pay any attention to them. But Sean O'Regan <laughs> said, hey, I, I'm talking out of the, both sides of my mouth if I say it doesn't matter because we used his motivation last year. And so I, I appreciated, you know, that from him. Um, it, it Definitely, you know, interesting and you know, shaping up for a fun year with both teams picked to win the conference, um, you know, uh, as as well as almost all the uh, fall sports are doing. If you right. uh if the winter plays out that way for basketball, it'd be a, a, a heck of a year for JMU sports. You know, you mentioned um, the women. Let's stick with them for a second. Any word on Heaven Bristow or when they may find out about that? Uh, I haven't heard any word on that. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, that's a question we can ask Sean tomorrow when we, right. you know, go over there for the, for for the, you know, for the JMU media day. Um get a chance to talk to some more players and coaches and stuff. So uh, that'll, that'll definitely be a question to ask if they've heard anything along those lines. And she's practicing with them, right? She is. Okay. Yeah. And you know, she's when, when you see them practice, you can tell what she adds to that team. She's just, you know, an incredible athlete. Um, and, you know, I think would be able to do not to say that she's a, the level of all around player that Kiki Jefferson is, but I think she would fill in a lot of the, uh, gaps that they've they're missing without Kiki Jefferson. We're talking to Shane Metlin from the DNR and, and basketball. They had a scrimmage, a close scrimmage yesterday with Liberty. Um, so we'll talk to, to coach about that a little bit tomorrow. But uh, any word on on what you're or what have you seen from them so far here the, the, before they get going in a couple weeks? Yeah, I was hoping I'd hear about the uh, scrimmage, but I haven't heard anything. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but no, I mean it's. You can see why they were picked to win the conference, I think, just when you see them uh, practice and get glimpses of what they did in Italy and things like that. Um, Terrence Edwards, everything I've seen, of every glimpse of Terrence Edwards I've seen since the summer, he's looked like he's looked like a really, really good, like a first-team all-conference player. He's got to be a star, um, isn't he? He's got, and, he's got a know, chance, anyway. Sorry, I think you broke up on me a little bit. I didn't he, catch he, what you said. He's got a chance to be a star, doesn't he? 
He does. He does. I think he could be, you know, I think he potentially could be the best player Jamie's had since Matt Lewis was here a couple of years ago and was the uh, CAA player of the year. Um, you know, it seems like, you know, some other guys are really kind of just settling in and, uh, um, you know, Noah Friedel has been, you know, a streaky shooter since he arrived at JMU. Uh, when I've gotten a glimpse of practices, he hasn't been streaky. He's been hitting, um, not, not to put, you know, that on him, but that seems like a good sign. Uh, the transfer point guard, Michael Green, also seems like he's going to be a really good shooter for this team. Um, so I think they got a couple of, you know, a couple big three-point threats along with a lot of guys who are athletic and go to the basket or, you know, a guy like TJ Bickerstaff, who I think is probably the most complete skill-wise, the most complete big man that they've had in a while. Like, I mean, I think he's going to be really good at the Sun Belt level after, you know, playing in the ACC where he was not a huge scorer, but was a great rebounder, really good defender. Um, but you remember, he, he played in the CAA before at Drexel, mm-hmm. and he averaged about 10 points a game as a sophomore. So I think at this level, he should be able to score and rebound and, and do a lot of things. Yeah, he might be a double-double guy. We'll, we'll kind of see how he – but they've got high expectations for him. There, there's no doubt. And and I know Coach talked about this during his press conference last, last Tuesday it was. Um, Julian Wooden, he's a guy that – Coach has always talked about how he's, – he's one of our most skilled guys. And he showed glimpses of that last year. He had some great performances, um, was coming off the bench most of the time. But I, I think – it kind of seems to me, and, and, and correct me if I if you feel different, but I, I feel like they're going to put a lot of weight on his shoulders, and he's going to be asked to do a little bit more this year. I'm looking forward to kind of see how he handles that. Yeah, I think so. I think um, you know probably too with Justin Amati being out for the season, like you know you've got now two five year big men with him and Bickerstaff right. that I think you're going to have to kind of rely on to to do a lot, and because um, your other bigs are young. And I think they're talented. I think they're good. But, I mean, it's a lot to, like, say, hey, we're going to count on these guys who have not played much college ball. Um, so, I, yeah, I think you're right about, you know, he, he Julian's a little bit more of a stretch four who right. can do a little bit. I think he right. likes to be on the perimeter. But I think um, he's a guy they're going to need to kind of do some things down low for them this year. Dukes and Michigan State two weeks from today. The Dukes and the Royals of EMU for the women here two weeks from today. So it should be a lot of fun. Again, it's hard to believe we're only two weeks away from the start of the college basketball season. Shane, thank you so much for your time. You can read more of Shane's stuff online, dnronline.com, or pick up the paper. I appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Dave.